Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. All brought to you by the PRTG Network Monitor, which you can get from Paisler. Remember, as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we keep you bang up to date with all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. A little later on in this program, we're going to be talking about blockchain. Everybody associates it with Bitcoin, but there is so much more you can do about it. You'll be interested to hear our interview this week. Uh, but first, I'm joined by our Tech Central Editor-in-Chief, Niall Kitson, and we've been looking at the Google I.O. conference. It's becoming just a bit of a, oh, here we are again, open air, theatre, venue, people talking, amazing things being said. Were you impressed? Um. When you frame it there, like as to say, oh, same old, same old, I think there is quite a lot to be impressed by this year. So the, do do you want to go down through the list of things that you went, oh, that's well, actually I've, quite I've interesting. Got, yeah, I've kind of got, yeah, I'm raising them from things I liked to things I didn't. Now, the first thing that I liked, I think it was the most impressive thing. And it's also the thing that I believe the least <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> because it's really impressive. They're talking about Google Assistant and you can talk to Google Assistant and ask it questions and it'll respond in voice with the answer. And now what they're saying is they've upgraded it so that Google Assistant can now make telephone calls on your behalf. And the example was given of uh, being able to call and make a hair appointment. Listen to this from the uh, from the conference there during the week. What's happening out here? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. I love the way the human being told the AI voice to have a nice day. <laughs> well, that it's it's amazing how little it takes for that uncanny valley to be crossed. I when you look at Siri, do you like Siri? Do you have an opinion on Siri? I don't. Well, I'm not an Apple user, so I don't have an opinion on Siri. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I know a lot of people that go, oh, Siri's a jerk because she's not very good at what she's meant to be doing, all this kind of thing. But... Um, uh, for me, it makes no difference that, you know, that voice sounds the way it does. If somebody was to, if something was to ring, you know, that uh, hairdresser, barber, whatever, mm. and go, I wish to make an appointment, please. 
I don't think it would make much of a difference. I think people would just sort of recognize it as an automated thing, but that's fine. I mean, it's it's making a, uh, it's doing something that maybe the the user wasn't able to do uh, at the time. Maybe they forgot to do it. Maybe um, you know the phone was engaged when they mm. when they tried to ring first. I think the issue is primarily one of accuracy. Um, I don't think people will mind so much if it's um, an automated voice or something that's convincing or even a real person, so long as the response is accurate. And uh, you will find people will adjust to uh, treating these voices as regular people very, very quickly. And you see it with robots about the house, with um, robots like Jibo that are designed to be quite personable, that people end up responding in a very personal way back mm. to them that you know the these things find their own role within the house they find their own role as problem solvers and people really respond to that i think you're going to get an awful lot more of this with google assistant and i think duplex is the name of the feature is it it is yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see how it goes because i mean we we have a kind of something like that as you were describing already uh, and i think it's like when you call revenue or or one of the government services or or something like that it's kind of like uh, at the tone please call out loud your pps number and then it repeats it back to you. And it's, if this is correct, please say yes. And it's like, oh, those things drive me insane. Ah, but the next step up from those is the, the little chatbot boxes that you visit on most e-commerce websites now or, or an awful lot of websites in general, I suppose. You're having a read and then this little box pops up and says, oh, hello, can I be of any use to you? Invariably, mm. um, no. Or the few times I've actually used one, it's let me refer you to customer service, in which case you get put through to an actual human who still can't fix your problem. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think there's too many nuances. Uh, and it's like that, like if you learn another language uh, and you see that with Google Translate all the time. Uh, one of the great tricks to do with Google Translate is to translate something into another language and then to switch them around and take the translated bit and do it the other way around and do that two or three times. And by the time you've done that, you've, you completely lose all meaning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you strip away context and the, the exactly. conversational and dynamic. Nuances and, and all that kind of stuff. Look, I, th- I think it's interesting. And I think they did a, 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 th- that was a really good demonstration. And I'm quite sure that it is possible that they did call a hairdresser and they did have that conversation but I just have a feeling that that might have been the 17th hairdresser they called <laughs> when they were recording the uh, uh, the demonstration however it was it was interesting and I was impressed all right the uh, the other thing that impre- uh, kind of that I liked was uh, smart displays because they're bringing these in to kind of catch up with their uh, Amazon with their Echo show did you like them yeah now This is something that I thought Google would have made more inroads into already. Now, maybe they were just waiting on the the right hardware partner to come along. But their version, their their sort of anti-echo, I guess. um, That's A-N-T-I as opposed to A-U-N-T-I. Yeah, I think it has a look of a really dated digital photo frame. Really? Yeah, I don't I don't like it aesthetically. I think it, yeah, I think it looks old. I think it looks like something your earlier adopter mate bought in the mid 90s and spent a couple of hundred quid on something that would do a slow slideshow 
of family photos. You do realise you talk about me, don't you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you bought this thing, Dusty. (laughs) You probably have this one bought already. Google Smart Displays then. (laughs) (laughs) Make it two, make it two. So you 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 weren't really impressed. I'm, I'm just not sold on the concept. I don't think there's enough there to make it interesting mm. because Echo has been in the market for so long at this stage that it has set the tone. Um, it's, and, and it's, you Google you want these things catch up essentially. Yeah, you want these things to be as unobtrusive as possible. You don't necessarily want a display. You just want a, it's a conversational interface. You want a question and an answer back at you. And we've already established that Google has the technology to make something like that happen. I think they're behind the curve with this. And perhaps it's due to that investment they have in Android that they want to have that sort of seamless user experience across devices. I think it's a, I, I don't think it's a very good road for them to go down. But maybe that's just me. All right. Well, uh, maybe it is just you. Who knows? Uh, one thing that I... Uh, I can't make it because the more I go through this list of things that I like, they're actually things that annoy me. Um, uh, <laughs> G- Gmail. All right. So they've got this thing uh, where in D- Gmail, when you're typing, it won't quite type a letter or an email for you, but it will suggest full sentences so that you don't have to type the full sentence. Yeah, so that's, that's an accident waiting to happen, oh, isn't it? Oh, man, I just looked at that and I went, hang on a minute. You know, this uh, th- th- this um, thing where they do that with just words already annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do autocorrect on my no, no, on my iPhone. No, dri- d- drives me nuts. Exactly. All right. So, no, the sentence compl- the complete thing is, is ni- for neither of us. The Google Maps thing that they were uh, demonstrating with the augmented reality. Now, this sounds like a fantastic idea, okay? So basically, wherever you are in the world, you can take your camera or your phone out and you can turn the camera on or whatever it is and just show the phone where you are and it will align what you are looking at with images that it has on Google Street View and then it's able to tell you exactly where you are and then you're able to say to the phone, I want to go to such and such and it will give you directions and you just look at the phone and it will show you left, right. Okay. Um, Right. Here's the pros and the cons. Uh Uh, The pro... It solves a problem, right? Um, the con, it solves a problem that is already solved by walking six feet in any direction. <laughs> oh, you're such a you're such a cow sometimes. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, the whole point of, you know, it's great that we're seeing an applied use for augmented reality. Mm. That's fine. The, the layer goes over the image that you're showing. And the main thing is, well, you know, you're standing somewhere. You don't necessarily know which direction you're facing. Mm. Um, and this this solves that problem. And indeed it does. But um, to, to borrow a really bad phrase for engaging with this, would you cross the road for that feature? Given that if you cross the road, you don't need it anymore. Listen, never mind that. Would you actually walk down the road with your phone in front of you, just looking at this thing and uh, and, uh, waiting for it to tell you to turn left or right? And before before you even answer that, I can already see people walking down the roads, looking at their phones, usually at videos or Facebook. (laughs) So why not this? Yeah. No, I have been that soldier. I have been the guy with his head buried looking at the blue dot. (laughs) 
making sure I'm I'm going down the, the footpath correctly. Do you know, yeah, I, I, I think I did I do it once and it worked. Uh, I can't remember. But um, for me, the ideal solution would be, OK, you get out your phone, you say, here I am. I want to go there. Uh, start directions. The same as you would with a sat nav in a car, right? But then at that stage, you take the phone and you put it in your pocket and then you put the earpiece in your in your ear and mm. you start walking. And then in your ear, it'll go at the next junction, turn left or turn right, right. or go straight ahead or whatever. And I think that's a, that's an elegant solution that I would like. I don't want to look like somebody walking down the road with their phone held out in front of them waiting for the phone to tell me left or right. I think that's just crazy. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. However, uh, with, with, oh. with, the, with the augmented reality, uh, they were going into Google Lens and other things, um, saying that I think one of the good things is, uh, it's not augmented reality per se, but with Google Lens, you can point your phone and using the camera, you can look at a bit of text, which could be like a Wi-Fi code or it could be an email that's been printed out or, or the ingredients on the back of some whatever. Uh, and the phone will recognize the characters of the text and you're able to copy and paste them. Yeah, I think that's quite nifty, actually. Mm. I, I do like that. I really like it. And you can do things like, you know, you can scan people's business cards at this stage where you just take a picture of it and it'll convert the text into digital whatever and just save it as a contact without having to do anything. I think that's a fantastic use. Uh, and another interesting use, and I love the spin that they did on this, was that with Google Lens, you're able to, like if you're shopping or something like that, you can just point your phone at a, a dress or a suit or whatever it is that you want to buy. And then it will um, immediately tell you, oh, well, you can buy this exact dress online for X whatever euro with blah, 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 blah retailer. Um, but the spin that they've done on it, because they know that they will never get it absolutely correct every time, is they'll say, uh, here are some lookalikes that we found. <laughs> I think that's a bit cheeky. I'm not sure I like that very much. To that's the, you know, that's like the guy who goes into the record shop, sees something and then looks it up on Amazon to see if it's cheaper. Nile, I have to, on behalf of our entire audience, if that's the way you're going to act, then you're offending everybody who's listening today. <laughs> <laughs> because that is the way life works. You go into a real store and then you look it up online. Uh, my personal preference is to buy it in the real store if the price is similar to what I can get it for online because mm -hmm. I much prefer having brick and mortar store that I can bring something back to if I have a problem. Yep. That's no my own no argument problem. here. No, no, that's, that's my own particular problem. On to things that I kind of went blah, 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 blah. Uh, Google Voices, they're bringing in some new voices, whatever. Uh, Google Photos will add, colorize your black and white photos, blah, whatever. Uh, Google News, curated uh, by artificial ah, now, intelligence. Google Do you News. like this? Yeah, Google News ta tackling fake news mm. before people go, Google News is just about fake news. One one thing that I do quite like uh, about it is that they will have a sort of a, a, a waiting system in that they, they will go, OK, here's stuff for your, your news feed. Here's subscriptions that you're subscribed to. But you know what? The, the, this crowd here that you signed up for, not a great source, not very reliable. You might want to consider dropping them from your uh, from your regular rotation. So, yeah, it's an overhaul that has been due uh, and it's good to see both the interface and the gubbins behind it being looked at. I wonder if that's going to cause more problems than it is anything else. Can you, can you imagine if you were the news source and you're legitimate and Google is going, yeah, why not to shoot by these people? <laughs> I have a feeling it will affect more bad actors than good ones. Than good actors. Well, that's true. That's true. And I think they're probably using AI to some extent in the uh, news feed that they give you now anyway. 
Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of why I was, I was kind of going, oh, well, that's interesting, whatever. Um, the other thing now, that, that, that onto the list, there's only one thing on the list of things that I don't like, uh, and that was this whole new thing with gestures, and they're getting rid of the back button. Okay, and there's a reason for this, mm. okay? Um, and this comes down to the way not so much Android is evolving, not the not so much the inevitable direction of Android. It's more to do with the inevitable direction of hardware, right? Because we're seeing more and more phones with the end-to-end displays, and that's up and down, left, right. It is it is getting physically harder to actually grasp your phone without impinging on the screen, and that's inevitably going to change with how you know the hard buttons. Um, uh, evolve yeah, I suppose okay. yeah. uh, whether we're going to hang on to, to buttons at all so I think that's an inevitable development um, but uh, yes uh, it certainly does change the user experience somewhat well, can, I, can, um, I, can I go right back at you there and say certainly with the uh, uh, the more recent Samsungs which is what I'm familiar with the S8 and the S9 uh, there are no hardware buttons because it does yeah. utilise the, the entire screen and there are soft buttons there's one for like menu uh, there's one for home and then there's the back button mm. yeah I do, yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm arguing the toss because I actually think that the back button is one of the most useful things of the entire Android operating system. I feel the same way about the home button with the iPhone. Uh, it doesn't matter but what's the on the screen. Like on the you- iPhone just doesn't bring you back to the last thing that you were looking at. That's what I liked uh, uh, about the Android back button. It'll bring you back to the last thing you were at, even if it is another app. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. All right, which you didn't get on the uh, on the iPhone, and the fact that getting rid of it just makes me shed a tear a little bit. But then again, onward march. Um, the one thing that they did not mention is all about Android P. Do you know what the P stands for? Uh, I know what it should do, but I'm an Apple guy, so I'm not. <laughs> Go on. What does the P stand for? Uh, okay. Uh... Right. Um, okay, I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb and say personal. Oh, oh, okay. Well, no, it'll be named after a suite of of what Pez or something like that, whatever they come up with. <laughs> uh, P in my head, and this is what I was hoping for, and they didn't really address it at Google I/O. Was uh, Android privacy? Privacy? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got the whole Facebook scandal is without doubt the biggest tech story of the year, if not the last couple of years. Uh, and what all these huge tech corporations are doing with your data. Then in Europe, we've got the GDPR, which is coming in towards the uh, at the end of May, uh, which is a complete pain because all I'm getting now is emails from people going, please confirm you'd like to get emails from us. Yep. <laughs> However, yep. such is life. Um, but the, the, the Google just, it, it didn't address it. And I think they're one of the biggest... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, criminals. That's a very strong offenders. word. Offenders. Offenders. There you go. That's it. Thank you. That's the exact word I was looking for. They're one of the biggest offenders when it comes to privacy because Google works on the information that we give it. And quite often yeah. it's information that we would not give other people. And I'm talking things like, you know, kind of like money or, or emails or storing your files there um, and all that kind of stuff. Your location. Um, th- th- like one of the things I hate when you're setting up a new phone with Google Everything wants to know your location. Yeah. It's like even the Photos app wants to know your location. It's like, the, no. 
Stop. Go away. Your house. I'm in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, you know, searches wants to know your location. Do you know what I mean? All Mm. these things like, you know, uh, so so I don't think Google are pretty good at privacy. And I was hoping with the uh, GDPR uh, that they might come up with something with privacy. Nada. Nothing in there at all. Well, I I think this is because GDPR is still a European solution to a global problem. So I think when Google are forced to come up with their own, uh, they'll be all over it. Mm. I think there will be no such thing as, as, you know, uh, uh, privacy thereafter, you know. Well, that's what you see there. I think that's where we're going with technology in all. And it's kind of like, you know, I can see a day where you walk into your home after a hard day's work and then this voice from the ceiling, whatever the heck it is, Google Home or whatever it is you have, just goes, hi, sorry to hear you had a bad day. Saw that email from your boss. Tell you what, I've just lined up your favorite program on TV and I've just called the takeaway a second ago and automatically ordered your favorite dinner. Sit down and relax. And you kind of go, God, that's great. And then in some ways you go, hang on a minute. (laughs) Hang on a minute. How much does that computer know about me? <laughs> so, no, I'm not. A, but, but you know that I'm a, a, a conspiracy theorist anyway. Yeah, pretty much. So that's uh, unfortunate about uh, uh, Google or, and, and Android and privacy. OK, well, listen, that uh, wraps up our look at the Google in out for this week. Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, let's get into our interview for this week about blockchain, which is the technology behind Bitcoin. But it also has got lots more uses beyond cryptocurrency. This week, Group Vice President of Product Development at Oracle, Rajan Krishna, has sat down with Niall Kitson to take us through just some of the possibilities. So, Rajan, when we're looking at blockchain as a technology, I guess most people's exposure to it comes from cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum. So can you tell us a little bit about the technology underlying those cryptocurrencies? Sure. Uh, Blockchain, uh, going back to approximately 2008, was introduced by uh, Satoshi Nakamura. We don't know whether that's an individual or a group of individuals, man, woman. We don't know anything about the identity of who created uh, blockchain. Uh, But the uh, premise is that uh, it's a secure technology that enables improved trust and accountability. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, for that matter, are applications of this technology. So think of Bitcoin as, and in the simplest terms, yeah, as an email, and think of blockchain as the internet. So email runs on the internet. Bitcoin runs on blockchain. It's, uh, as simple as that. From a, uh, from a cryptocurrency standpoint, but at the same time, there's so much hype, uh, so much. Uh, uh, gains to be had in the short term with crypto coins, with cryptocurrencies in the past few years, that the market got ahead of itself, number one. The market associated Bitcoin with blockchain, blockchain with Bitcoin. Uh, not unfair, but that's not the only association. So it was used interchangeably. Bitcoin equals blockchain equals Bitcoin. Uh, but the underlying technology that, that I talked about, the technology piece, has far greater implications than just exchange of value, exchange of value in this case, uh, Bitcoin as the example. 
to the underlying technology. What, what blockchain actually does is, as opposed to any one organization or entity or authority having control over a piece of information, that control is shared by multiple parties. Okay, so you need to agree amongst those multiple parties. It could be uh, organization to organization. It could be individual to individual. It could be organization to individual. It could be uh, private companies to uh, uh, state organizations or it could be NGO, whatever those entities might be. So you basically have an agreed value amongst everybody that has decided to enter into the blockchain. And that can sort of, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, an international thing. A blockchain could be something as, as simple as the workings within an office. Absolutely. Say your, uh, your uh, supply chain in one country, say in one organization, let's say, uh, uh, let's say you have your supply chain in Cork, you're manufacturing in Cork, but your finance sits, for whatever reason, having it as a separate entity sits in Dublin, let's say, and you need to have for uh, uh, added security, uh, this is a hypothetical case, okay, you could have blockchain between these two departments even, quite frankly. Not that that will be the most common use case, but to, to answer your, your question, it doesn't necessarily have to be international or something grand, uh, though most of the examples we see today are those big grand examples, like, like Bitcoin, for example. So um, just to look then at the applications that are possible in the enterprise space when we're looking at how big businesses are embracing blockchain or, or the distributed ledger, if you will, as a model for how to do business. Of course, I know companies are looking at cryptocurrencies as you know a, a potential sort of, I guess, revenue source or, or a way to handle financial transactions. Um, but there is also applications at the level of, say, record keeping that are quite interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And that is interesting because of the trust that blockchain brings to those, those approved entities to add information, to maintain that information, to create those records or make changes. Every change has to be agreed upon by those entities. And then a, a change once made cannot be changed, cannot be overwritten. Let's say you put a value for, some, for, for whatever. You, you enter a, a piece of information. All the parties agree to it. It is locked permanently. If you need to make a change, you would make a change and append it to the original record. So it, it, there's no overwrite capability, if you will. So that makes it a, a very trustable, a, a transparent, and accountable. So within companies or across companies, there are many, many ways you could use blockchain. Uh, number one, uh, in, the case of, uh, in the case of finance, let's say you're a small company and you have, uh, you're a fast-growing company. You have invoices that are due for payment, say, 90 days, 120 days, whatever, from a large company or larger companies. But you're a fast-growing company. You need to raise funds. So you want to trade those invoices. You go to a bank. The bank does its own uh, checks to see whether it's a genuine invoice, whether you're a genuine uh, player, whether the party is going to pay, what is their credit risk, credit history. It's a very manual, cumbersome process. Instead, you put that on a blockchain. It's, it's there for everybody to see. 
and let's say I want to bid on that invoice. I know this big company. I know they're going to pay. You know what? I'll give you 90 cents of the dollar today, and I'll buy that invoice off of you. Somebody else says, no, I'll actually bid 92. So you, it becomes an exchange. Uh, so blockchain as a, as a, in finance, is an exa- this is an example of blockchain in finance. Now, blockchain in supply chain, let's say you're adding suppliers in a large company, that's again a very manual process to uh, understand the risks associated with that supplier. This can be as simple as, as a Yelp or a TripAdvisor, except like in a Yelp or a TripAdvisor, you can fake those reviews. In a blockchain, let's say you want to assess the uh, the validity and the worth of a supplier from a from a, a business standing. Would they deliver on time? Would they deliver as promised? Uh, is the quality good? That can be based on actual transactions that that supplier has done with other companies. So it's like Yelp, except it's grounded in real information on the blockchain. So you can add that supplier based of the information on blockchain because you know you can trust that information. If you want to play a grander game, mm-hmm. international trade, international shipping, there's a whole bunch of documents, whether it's a small value shipment or a large value shipment. The, the, the roster, the checklist, the roster is the same. Your bill of lading, your letters of credit, your packing list, your inspection certificate, and country-specific inspection certificate, tax, it goes on and on and on. And you do this each time. And that's a very cumbersome process. In fact, the economist estimates that savings from automating documents in a, in a, in a, say, a say, using a blockchain as an example, can add more value than even lowering trade barriers. So it's about that big. So that's an example of blockchain and supply chain. Similarly, there are other examples, blockchain, blockchain in HR, blockchain in, uh, in, uh, in distribution, and, and so on. I'm happy to go into that uh, if, 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 if you want. That element of uh, of record management and being able to track changes and, and document history um, presents a, a very interesting um, uh, opportunity, I suppose, in the era of uh, GDPR, because it, you are effectively creating documents where every change is, is visible and can be inspected. So uh, is blockchain being looked at as a sort of GDPR solution? Technically, technologically, it absolutely can. But what needs to fall in place for blockchain to be effective in those situations is governance and standards. It's almost like, you know, 1991 to 1994, when the standards for the Internet were just being created. Today we have W3C Consortium, we have ICANN for assigned names and numbers, we have the Internet Society for uh, uh, governance, it's an advocacy group. So many pieces fell into place over time. Now, with blockchain, that will likely happen because of the money that's going in, the amount of VC funding that's going in, number of companies being interested, and the value that can be created using blockchain. So that can happen, but in order for GDPR information, it's, it's almost like it's almost like your health records. For health records to be standardized and made portable, a lot of pieces had to fall uh, into place. So with GDPR, let's say my own information, there are open questions about who wants the data. In the case of uh, uh, medical records, that question has been answered. The power is with the patient. Similarly, with your personal data on the Internet, on a go-forward basis, just 
will come. It has to come. Uh, who owns the data? Who has control? And say on a go-forward basis, me as an individual, I post too much information in, in the public Internet. I should be in control of the data. And I should decide whether I put it with social network A or social network B, internet company C, whatever. I should be in control. In order for that to happen, data needs to be standardized. Processes need to be standardized. Everyone needs to subscribe to a minimum set of standards, almost like in the in, if, I, if I were to draw parallels to the internet, with TCPIP, in fact, MIT, Dave Clark, one of the founders of the internet, talks about the constraint that deconstraints. So that you could have a whole bunch of standards below, you could have a whole bunch of standards above, but the above and the below, so in that example, below is internet service providers, above is applications. But everyone, whether you're above that constraint or below that constraint, that common constraint was TCP IP. So that made a lot of things possible for the internet. Similarly, both from a technology standpoint and process and governance standpoint, many pieces need to fall into place for blockchain. Let's say it, it, it fell into place. So the case you're talking about, blockchain and GDPR, absolutely possible. So just uh, to wrap up then, if we're looking at adequate governance and uh, a global uptake among individuals, is blockchain then the way forward in our identity management that we won't need to worry about Facebook utilizing our data because it's our data by default and if they want to interact with us, well, you know, we are in control of that transaction a lot more than we would ordinarily be. Uh, very much so. Let me give you a practical application of what you just said. You use Facebook as an example. Let's say your information and you're in control. You apply for, let's say you're applying for a job. You're a candidate and then you, you, you get selected and then the company says, okay, uh, you, we, we, we are thinking of hiring you. There's one step left in the process and that is the reference check. What do they do? They bring a third-party agency to do the reference check. What does the third-party agency do? Call you get your history. Where did you go to university? Where did you work? Who are your references? Okay, place the phone down. And then go to, you know, call each of those universities. I mean, they did a good job uh, of, of calling each one. Call your previous employers, call your references, assemble that data, and then send it back to the company that's going to hire you. Similar to what you just said about, about Facebook, let's say you are in control of that data and there is this company that wants to hire you, you provide a temporary key that's valid for, let's say, 24 hours, 48 hours. Your prospective employer can use that key to get your history. So you use Facebook as an example. It's the same uh, a paradigm for your professional information, let's say. So it's, it's the same thing. So yes, so net-net, you, uh, you are in control of the data. You decide how much you want to share. You decide with whom you want to share and when. And that was Nala Kitson speaking with Rajan Krishna, Group Vice President of Product Development at Oracle. That's almost it for our show this week. The programme is supported by PRTG from Paisler, which monitors your IT infrastructure 24-7 and will let you know about problems before your users or your clients even notice. So get on and take a look at it and see how it works. It's faster, smarter, better and online for you right now. www.paisler.com Just before we go, Niall, uh, do we have uh, one more thing for this week? One little story we just couldn't squeeze into the podcast. 
Yeah, well, I mean, we've been talking about Google I.O., but Microsoft have their uh, uh, equivalent build going on at the same time. So we have a little wrap up of what's going on there. And you can get the lowdown on all of that, along with all things tech in Ireland and worldwide with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. And of course, you can listen to us each week online or Fridays at 5 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio Next. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Al Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.